Hi, Journey. How are you all doing today? Really good to be with every single one of you, especially if you're our guest. We're particularly delighted to have you here today, and we've been praying that God would do something really spectacular in your heart and life today. Uh, it is Palm Sunday, right? That means we're in the tail end of Lent, at the tail end of Lent. Next weekend is Easter weekend, where and when we'll celebrate Jesus' resurrection. He died and he rose and he lives so that we could have forever eternal life with him. That doesn't, by the way, just mean heaven someday. It actually starts right here, right now, doesn't it? We've been fasting as a church. I hope and pray you've been engaged in the fasting journey. We've been asking God, as I invited you to do last weekend, to give us souls this Easter. God, please give the Big C Church in the Gallatin Valley souls this Easter. One piece, one part of what I talked to you about last weekend was contending, right, for the eternal destiny of souls. That's our job. That's part of our role here on the planet. Contending for the eternal destiny of souls. And as one piece of that, we cultivate then the soil of people's hearts so that the gospel seed lands in places where it can take root, the best root possible. And so that egg hunt that we do, the Saturday, next Saturday, the Saturday of every Easter weekend is just that. It isn't just an egg hunt. For us, it's what we call a cultivating event. We go, we serve, we bless, we put a serving towel over our arm, we, hope this, we host this fantastic celebration that meets families in the place where they're at. Imagine that, picture a sea of 60,000 little plastic eggs filled with candy. That's a lot of cavities, by the way. It's a carnival-type atmosphere. There won't be any snow, I'm certain of it. It's just the best environment, and that is a cultivating event. That's why we do it. It isn't just for fun. It's actually a cultivating event, and as it stands right now, that hunt is uh, next Saturday, six days from now, and we're about 75 people, teammates, volunteers, short of what it takes to serve our valley with the excellence they deserve. So could I urge you, challenge you, invite you to put some skin in that heart-cultivating game next Saturday. All sorts of ways for you and your family to get involved and serve. And if you just do the math, 75, you do 25 from each one of this weekend's gatherings. If 25 people, 25 of you, would sign up to get around that, we would have that 75 handled. Invite you, if you're going to get around that, maybe you're nudged that way, just grab the card out of the chair pocket, put your contact info on there, write the keyword egg hunt somewhere on there. One of the leadership team from the hunt will get with you early in the week to connect you with really what is a vital serving role as we help cultivate the hearts of people for the gospel through the egg hunt. I just want to say thanks very much in advance for getting around that, putting a serving towel over your arm. But that is what it is all about. Let's shift gears. Show of hands, please. How many of you are huge fans of a parade? You just love parades. You live for parades. Yeah, there's a few parade fans. Well, parades aren't exactly my favorite thing. When, you, when I think about parades, I just have to think, ah, parades, they're pretty cool, aren't they? 
You all know that every Thanksgiving Day, Macy's sponsors that thing they call the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, right? Where tens of thousands of people, they line the streets of New York City. They watch the parade live. Millions more of us at home tune in and watch on television. I've never attended the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade live. I have, however, watched it on TV, as probably many of you have. And what I know about watching it on television is it is a very predictable experience, isn't it? It's very, very predictable. You listen to the commentators. We see the people who are watching. We see their reactions, right? The cameras pan by them. And then we watch these giant cartoon character balloons float down the streets of New York City. It's very predictable. Year after year after year, it's just the same thing. Now, every once in a while, just to mix it up, a big old gust of wind blows through. It sends the commentators into overdrive. They breathlessly report that SpongeBob SquarePants is absolutely in danger of being ripped from the arms of his handlers. And, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to SpongeBob SquarePants? But other than that... Every year, it's pretty much the same. Then out on the opposite coast, every New Year's Day, the Rose Bowl Parade unfolds, right? It's also a very predictable event. You watch it on television, and you see the marching bands. You see these beautifully decorated floral-themed floats. You also, on television, see horses pooping on the pristine streets of Pasadena, California. And those are kind of the order of the day, a very predictable experience. Parades are interesting. Some people like them more than others. Lots of parades are just predictable, especially when you're watching at home on television. I want to take you, though, to another parade. And that's exactly what it was. It was a parade that unfolded about 2,000 years ago, the outskirts of the city of Jerusalem. It involved a mix of characters which turned out literally to be one of the most significant parades of all time. It was the furthest thing from predictable, the furthest thing from ordinary, and we call that parade Palm Sunday, don't we? And that's what it is. It's really a Jesus parade. That's what Palm Sunday is. The story actually unfolds in all four of the Gospels, and we're going to pick up the story today of the Jesus Palm Sunday parade, the book of Luke. If you want to turn there, chapter 19, you can follow along on the screen as well. Luke 19, starting in verse 28. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples, As he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in highest heaven. 
But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. And we read that account, and you step back away from it, and you go very simply, that is a parade. It's a Jesus parade. He's coming into Jerusalem for what we know, and what he knows is the last week of his life here on earth. And his arrival is celebrated. It turns into a parade. And every single element of that parade had absolutely profound meaning to all the people who were there watching that day, as well as to us who read about it a couple thousand years later on the pages of Scripture. It really all starts with a donkey, doesn't it? And this is Lucy, the donkey, and she is just precious, and you'll get to meet her afterwards. She'll be out in front with her compadre. Oh, you're sniffing me this time. Hi, buddy. Nice to see you. This is little Lucy. Uh, She is a miniature donkey, and so today you can say there were two donkeys on the stage, right? Sometimes there's only one. Today there's two. Very funny. Very funny. Someone actually said that. So it all starts with a donkey, doesn't it? He says to two disciples, go, go get a donkey from that village over there. Go borrow a donkey. And you're like, why not something better than a donkey, right? This is Jesus Christ, after all, King of kings, Lord of lords. This is a little animal who's thinking about rearing up and kicking me right now. If she's going to do that, will you warn me, please? If you see her charging me, why in the world a donkey, we ask? It had to be a donkey. Because Jesus Christ, Son of God, is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy, a prophecy that every single person who was gathered for the Jesus parade would have been very familiar with. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. This is remarkable. The king of kings, the lord of lords, he rides into the city of Jerusalem for what literally is going to be the last week of his life here on earth, and he rides in on the back of a borrowed donkey. And you think about the life of Jesus. You sort of step back and start at the beginning. Jesus was born in a manger that wasn't his. Borrowed manger. He spent his adult life, his entire adult life, homeless, didn't he? He rides into Jerusalem on the back of a borrowed donkey, and he was buried, not in a tomb that was his, he didn't even have his own grave, a borrowed tomb. And you see all this borrowing that Jesus does, and you go, holy cow, for everybody in Jesus' day, that is a dramatic paradigm shift from the image of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords they're expecting. The Israelites are expecting this big triumphant political ruler to show up and conquer Rome. Jesus completely adjusted that paradigm. Borrow, 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 borrow. And you think about why Jesus borrows. Why? Why does Jesus borrow? He borrows because he loves. Jesus Christ borrows because he loves. Jesus didn't borrow because he needed anything. 
right? God, which he is, doesn't need anything. Now, sure, that's what he told his disciples to tell the donkey's owner when he borrowed it, but that was just, the Lord needs it, right? But that's just a word choice thing. He borrowed that donkey that day out of love, and get this, he's still borrowing to this day, and he's borrowing because he still loves. How does Jesus borrow today? He borrows us. He borrows us. He gives us this incredible honor, this incredible privilege of partnering, aligning with him in his work. He actually chooses intentionally to use us, we who are broken, we who are often quite a mess. He borrows us and he uses us to carry out his work, to carry out his mission. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us, absolutely. But for our benefit, he borrows of us from us he borrows and he invites every one of us to wake up every single day and not just go to a wow I just need a moment Good job, Lucy. (laughs) Poor girl's had to listen to this sermon three times, and she's just had it. I've heard it. I've heard it all before. My heart just about came out of my chest. It did. What is happening? Can we even put this back in the box? Should I just ride the donkey around and say a prayer and we'll go home? So Jesus invites us, he calls us, he challenges us every single day. Don't just get out of bed, don't just go to a job just so you can make money, so that you can buy more things that you don't even need. Instead, Jesus says, come on, get out of bed for the purpose of joining me in the most important work going on planet Earth the bringing of his kingdom, living on the mission that he came to show us how to live on. He borrows because he loves. And you know those people who when you loan them something, you know like that ain't ever coming back. Really, they say they want to borrow it, but you know it's going to be gone forever. You know those people. It's not like that with Jesus. What he borrows, he returns. What he borrows, he gives back the donkey it was just a short-term loan the mark account of the jesus parade jesus says the disciples tell the owner we're sending it back to you shortly it's coming back to you jesus doesn't borrow to keep he tells us that what he borrows is coming back watch this a hundred times better you know those people who when you loan them something you know that if you get it back it's gonna be mangled And you're just like, well, you should probably just keep it. I don't want that back. It's not like that with Jesus either. It's coming back a hundred times better. You read Matthew chapter 19. Jesus is talking about some of the things that people give up to follow him. And he says, you'll receive a hundred times more in return. A hundred times more in return. And on top of that, eternal life. Forever life. 
Anytime, folks, we loan ourselves to the Lord, it is absolutely to our benefit. Every single time. A few other insights into the significance of the donkey in the Jesus parade. If you read Numbers chapter 22 in the Old Testament, it was a donkey, wasn't it, that actually diverted the wrath of God. You read the story of Balaam and his donkey. Balaam's donkey works to spare Balaam's life. And think about this, in just the same way, Jesus was on the mission to divert God's wrath for us as he entered Jerusalem. Jesus took the penalty we deserved and he took it upon himself. Go to Genesis chapter 22 in your Bible, in your head. You read the story of Abraham and Isaac. Remember, it was a donkey that Abraham saddled, instructed by God to saddle up your donkey and take your only son, Isaac, and take him out to be sacrificed. Sacrifice your only son. And God spared Isaac, didn't he? And you think about Jesus, the only son of God, riding a donkey, it reveals a very parallel act of sacrifice, doesn't it? The difference was that Jesus died. There wasn't a ram mysteriously appearing in the thicket over there sparing Jesus. Jesus died. The ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate gift. And at this parade on this day, the crowd takes their garments, their coats, their cloaks, and so, and they put it on the back of the donkey so that Jesus could sort of a makeshift saddle for him to sit on. They also laid their garments out on the ground in front of him. The donkey isn't walking on bare dirt anymore. The donkey's actually walking on the coats of the people, incredibly significant, because that's what people do for a king. 2 Kings 9, 12, and 13, we read about the anointing of King Yehu, the coronation, if you will, of King Yehu. And look at what the Bible says. This is what the Lord says. I have anointed you to be the king over Israel. That's Yehu. And then they quickly, the people who were gathered for the announcement, the coronation, the anointing, they quickly spread out their cloaks on the bare steps, blew the ram's horn, shouting, Yehu is king. By doing that exact thing for Jesus, the people present for the Jesus parade that first Palm Sunday, they're saying, this isn't any ordinary guy. This isn't just another guy riding into town on the back of an ordinary donkey. There's something, there's something extraordinary about this man. He's different, he's special, and we're gonna demonstrate that by laying our coats on the ground in front of the donkey. Will you give, uh, go easy, but give Lucy a hand because she's going to go away now. Job, Lucy. Way to go. One of the most memorable moments in seven years goes in the book. And we don't see it in the Luke account of the Jesus parade, but in the other three gospel, those writers speak of palm branches, right? That people are waving, they're laying them down on the ground in front of Jesus, in front of the donkey. That's where this whole term Palm Sunday comes from. Palm branches taken off of the palms that were growing along the road into Jerusalem. Palm branches. I have some volunteers. Would my volunteers come up here, please? And uh, I have these... Uh, authentic palm fronds. Look, they're, they're racing to the front of the room. The volunteers, come right up here. You had no idea what you were signing up for when precious Shana asked you. Here's a palm frond. Will you come stand right here, please? Right here. And one for you right here. And then right over here. Hey, you're the guy from the announcements, aren't you? Cool. Nice to see you. Right, 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 mm-hmm, right here. Yeah. Right here and right there. There you go. No, face them. Mm-hmm. This is the this is the makeshift roadway. Okay, and you're going to wave those. Show us how you can wave them. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, good job. You do that really, really well. What are the palm branches all about? You can just keep waving them if you'd like. This is all about Jesus' coming kingship. Jesus' end of time kingship. Look at the book of Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. After this, this is the vision that God gave John of stuff that's coming someday, at the end of the present day, in the future, after Jesus' second coming. Here's one scene from that. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language. Whoa, that is quite a scene. Standing, and they're all standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. That's Jesus, by the way. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar. You don't have to do this. I'll just read it. They were shouting with a great roar. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. This is symbolic of the someday not yet kingship of Jesus that's in view with these palm branches. This is coming. They're honoring him as the someday future king by waving these palm branches. That's on one hand. On the other hand, there's this perspective. The Israelites, every year, they they celebrated what's called the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. This particular celebration was a remembrance and commemoration of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness after God delivered them from the Egyptian captivity. As one part of this feast, the Israelites celebrated by waving palm branches. Why? Because God saved them numerous times. In particular, he saved them when he parted, remember this story, parted the Red Sea for them. So I want you to picture this scene. You're still waving the palm fronds, good good job. The Jesus parade scene. Jesus is riding on the donkey. He's riding through these palm fronds, and the palm fronds look somewhat like the water of the Red Sea that was held back by God. They're commemorating what God did for the nation of Israel thousands of years prior. What else is interesting about this is that when you think about Jesus' role, he's really, in essence, the new Moses, isn't he? Leading his people into the promised land. What a picture, what a visual of everything that's going on around these palm fronds. You guys can be all done. Let's give these guys a hand. Way to go. Nicely done. And the people who were gathered for the Jesus parade, they're... They're doing some things, right? Coats on the ground, coats on the donkey, waving palm fronds, throwing those on the ground, and they're saying some things. One word in particular that they're saying, the John account lifts this up in particular, is this word Hosanna. You know this word Hosanna. I put it on your notes page for you. Now the Greek word there is Osanna. It was transliterated to English as Hosanna to make it a little easier for us to say, but that's not a Greek word. It's actually a Hebrew word laid out with and in Greek letters. But the original Hebrew for the word Hosanna is a phrase. And it's this phrase, Hoshia Na. Say that with me. Hoshia Na. One more time. Hoshia Na. And that Hebrew phrase, you now know some Hebrew, brilliant, way to go. That Hebrew phrase is found in just one place in the whole Old Testament of the Bible. Psalm 118, verse 25, and here's where it shows up. Please, Lord, please save us. Hoshia na. 
That's the original Hebrew for what we read in English right there. Hoshia na. And you know what that is? That's a cry out to God for help. A cry to God for help. Now think about this. Think about the days when you were a very little kid. Think about the days, bring them forward in your mind, when you didn't know how to swim. Remember those days? For some of us, that was not very long ago. Others, it was a long time ago. And remember, even as a little kid who didn't know how to swim, you were very intrigued by the water, weren't you? You always wanted to go to the water. And so sometimes when you were a little kid before you could swim, you might have just wandered up to the edge of a swimming pool and just sort of peered in because you were intrigued and you'd seen people in there having fun before and you look forward to the day when you would get to jump in and know how to swim and so, and you just sort of stare into the water. But then imagine you did this. You're a little kid and you don't yet know how to swim and there's a diving board. And you climb up on that diving board and you walk out onto the edge of the diving board and you're just standing there sort of mesmerized and you're very careful. You're a little frightened. You don't know how to swim. If you fell in, bad things would happen. Certainly you sort of have this concept in your minds. Any of you ever do that when you were a little kid? You just go stare at the edge of the water, stand on the edge of a diving board. Now, if that happened to you, maybe something like this happened to you. Unbeknownst to you, you're a little kid, you don't yet know how to swim, your big brother or your big sister, who love you dearly, sneak out from behind, tiptoe up onto the diving board, and because they love you so much, they shove you into the water. Did that happen to any of you? Some of you, yes. Now remember, you don't yet know how to swim, You are not expecting to get wet, so you don't have a life jacket on. Of course, where the diving board one is, is the deep end of the pool, and so it's far too deep for you to touch the bottom, and so you sink down, and you're fighting, and you're flailing, and you're kicking your feet, and you manage to shoot up to the top of the water. You're actually fighting to survive, and when you surface, you're yelling stuff, aren't you? You're yelling Help, save me. If you know Hebrew, you're yelling, Hoshia na. That can sound like something else, so you have to pronounce it carefully. Hoshia na. And that phrase, Hoshia na, evolved over time. The meaning actually changed over the centuries. A clue to why that happened might actually be found in the next verse of the psalm itself. That phrase, Hoshia na, it's immediately followed up by this exclamation, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So it's like, God help me, Hoshia na, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. It's almost like that cry for help, Hoshia na, gets answered even before it's all the way out of the psalmist's mouth. You see that? That phrase, over the centuries, evolved. Hoshia na forever ceased being a cry for help in the Jewish vernacular, and it instead transitioned to become, watch this, a shout of hope, of exultation. It used to mean like, save, please. Over time, though, it came to mean salvation, salvation, salvation has come. The use and meaning of that word Hosanna morphed. It morphed from what you would have said when you got shoved off the diving board into the deep end of the pool before you knew how to swim into what you would have said when you saw the lifeguard on his or her way to save your life. Hoshia na. 
Hosanna then, every time you see it, every time you sing it, we sang it in that song a few moments ago, every time you see it, sing it, think it, it's the expression that bubbles up out of a heart that sees the hope and sees the joy of salvation on the way and can't help but celebrate it. It's like our heart, our life, our soul isn't big enough to contain it. Hosanna, Hosanna. Hooray for salvation. It's coming. It's here. Salvation. Salvation. Now, if you'll permit me, I'd like to put this all to you, this word Hosanna, in very personally painful terms. Sunday, January 22nd, 2012, with history just within their grasp, my San Francisco 49ers, one of the most historically mistake-free teams in the entire league, fumbled away their chance to reach their first Super Bowl in 17 years. 17 years. That's a drought, isn't it? Two fumbled punt returns by Kyle Williams. One in the fourth quarter, the other one in overtime. The New York Giants managed to beat my Niners 20-17, to rain-soaked NFC Championship game at the stick. Subbing in for the injured Ted, Jin, Ted, Ted Ginn Jr., Williams, who had had six career punt returns entering that game, was stripped by New York's Joaquin Williams on a return just over five minutes into overtime. The Giants recovered the ball at San Francisco's 24-yard line. Less than three minutes later, New York's Lawrence Tynes drilled a 31-yard field goal to send his team to its second Super Bowl in five seasons. I want you to pretend for just a moment with me. Now, just, we're just pretending that you are a New York Giants fan. None of you would be because you're Christians. <laughs> but just pretend you're New York Giants fans. And as Tynes was lining up for that game-winning field goal, there would be one part of the Giants crowd who would have been screaming something. They would have been screaming, kick it, Lawrence, kick it in so we can win it, right? So you would be screaming if you weren't a Christian and were a New York Giants fan. Kick it so we can win it. That is the old Hosanna. Think about it that way. That is the old Hosanna. Now another part of the New York Giants crowd would be yelling, you got it, Lawrence, you got it, we win. We win. That is the new Hosanna. The entire meaning of the word moved from plea into praise. It morphed from cry into confidence. And so which Hosanna was it that they were declaring with Jesus at the Jesus parade day, that first Palm Sunday, it was the new one, wasn't it? They were declaring Hosanna. Hosanna. Salvation has come. Salvation is here. Hooray for salvation. And that church is the exact same Hosanna we are to be declaring to this very day because we've experienced, we've tasted, we know the Savior and we're confident that our victory ultimately isn't in anything of this world, it's in Him. Our victory is in Him alone. Now that's all cool and nice and even a bit fun, but I want to turn a corner with you here for a moment and we're going to finish with this idea. Because church, we got to be really, really clear about this. Because you see, the nature of Jesus' kingship at this very point in history 
is profoundly different from the nature of his kingship when he comes back for the second coming. Do you know this? It is profoundly different. What we know about Jesus right here, right now, kingship, all the way from the Jesus parade moment up to right this very second, is that he created, he opened up what's called a season of salvation, didn't he? Jesus opened up a season of salvation. By season of salvation, I mean we're living in a time in which you and your neighbors and your family and your coworkers and your classmates and your roommates, your moms, your dads, your grandmas, your grandpas, can switch sides and be saved from an eternity spent apart from God. This is the season of salvation. You're living in it. We're living in it. It's right here, it's right now, and the door is wide open for anyone who wants to accept the amnesty that King Jesus holds out. To accept the amnesty that King Jesus holds out means that you put down your allegiance to self and to success and to money and to physical pleasure and to building your own security empire that you think is going to take care of you for the long haul. You put down whatever it is that's ruling your life and you switch sides. You receive the gift of amnesty from King Jesus. This is it. We're living in the season of salvation. Anyone and everyone can put all of that down. Anyone and everyone can bend their knee to him, invite Jesus Christ to be their one and only king, devote their complete and total allegiance to him. When you do that, you can live out the rest of eternity on his side with a joy that you cannot even put into words. This is the season of salvation. And you contrast Jesus' parade entry into Jerusalem a few days prior to his crucifixion on that first Palm Sunday. The season of salvation on this day is wide open and you contrast that with what we call his second coming. We see just a slice of it in Revelation chapter 19 starting in verse 11. Let's pick up the story. Then I saw heaven open. This day is coming. This day we're reading about right here. It's coming it's not yet but it's coming then i saw heaven opened and now it isn't a donkey is it now it's a white horse i saw a white horse standing there its rider was named faithful and true for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war his eyes were like flames of fire on his head were many crowns a name was written on him that no one understood except himself he wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the word of god the armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him not on donkeys on white horses from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations he will rule them with an iron rod he will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. And what we absolutely know beyond the shadow of any doubt is that on the day that King Jesus appears in the skies like that, a day that has not yet come but that is coming get this please on that day it's too late to switch sides on that day it's way too late to switch sides second corinthians chapter 6 verse 2 drills right into this for god says at just the right time i heard you 
On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. And we read that and that's heavy and that's deep and that's big. And we also have to walk away from that verse and we have to think and we have to say and we have to believe and we have to live out. Well, if there's a right time according to God for salvation, then there must also be a wrong time. And that all means that if today is the day of salvation, then tomorrow might not be the day of salvation because, well, Jesus might come back tomorrow. And when he does, it's different. Very, very different. And if we believe that, church, then we'd better be living that out If we believe that there's a day of salvation and a day of not salvation, a day when it's too late, then that means we better live our entire lives both displaying, meaning on display the good news, as well as declaring the good news of the gospel. We don't just get to say, oh, they'll see Jesus in me. I don't ever have to say, we don't get to say that. If we really believe that there's a day of salvation and that this is the day of salvation, that there's a day that it's just too late for salvation when people have missed the boat, if you will, then we have to say something. We can't just expect people to catch it from our lives. That means we're displaying the gospel. It means we're sharing the good news using words. That means we're investing in cultivating the soil of people's hearts for the gospel, which means that we invite people to things like the Easter egg hunt because, well, it's a cultivating event and we want fertile soil for the gospel seed to fall into. If we really believe that this is the day of salvation, that there's a day coming that isn't the day of salvation, then we're inviting people to be here next weekend for just one of our weekend worship experiences. It's Easter And here's what's true. People in your world, people in your life might be just one invitation from you away from their own day of salvation. Just one invitation. Just ask them. Don't put it off. Don't say, oh, I'll do it next year. No. Just ask them. If we believe that these are the day of salvation and that there's a day coming when that door closes, then we live differently. That changes Everything we do, doesn't it? And so we see Jesus entering Jerusalem, the final days of his life. He's riding on a donkey. He wants us to hear. He wants us to see. He's absolutely king. He's just. He's almighty. And in this season of salvation, he's meek and he's lowly and he's welcoming. He's seeking. He's forgiving. He's patient. He's long-suffering. He's all those things. As he enters the Jesus parade day that first palm sunday he's just days away from shedding his own blood as a matter of fact to save anyone and everyone who takes him up on his offer of amnesty anyone and everyone who wants to come over to his side because he's in the business all the way to this day of saving sinners it's who he is it's what he does jesus says look here i am i'm your king I'm gentle, I'm lowly, I am not, he says, on this day riding a white war horse. I do not on this day carry a sword. I do not on this day carry a rod of iron. I'm coming instead on this day to save you. Today is the day of salvation. 
And on the first Palm Sunday, Jesus fleshed out perfectly everything about Zechariah 9.9, didn't he? He declares through even his entry into the city of Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, everything he came to be about, the salvation of humanity, and he invites every single person on planet earth to receive it. And until that day that we call the second coming, it's a day of salvation. It's a day of amnesty and forgiveness and patience. Because on this day, Jesus rides a donkey. On this day, he does not ride the white war horse. And today, he's ready to save anyone and everyone who receives him as savior and boss and king and ruler. And so the question sort of lands on us, have you? Have you come to him? Do you know him? And notice the way I said that. I didn't say, do you know about him? Do you know him? Have you received him? The free gift of amnesty that he offers you in this day of salvation. Have you received him? And then are you living your life in allegiance to him? Are you living on his mission, displaying and declaring his good news, displaying and declaring that this is the day of salvation? And look, we have to tell the truth. There's a day that's coming that is not a day of salvation. Are you living it? Are you living it? Would you please take your stuff and set it aside, and I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads and just move into a time of interaction, prayer to God, if you would. I could just ask you to stay in a posture of prayer and listening to God this Jesus parade that first Palm Sunday it means something to everyone it absolutely does and so the question that I'd ask you to sort of interact on with me with the Lord what's God dialing into your heart around the Jesus parade story What's he pressing in on you? The donkey is incredibly significant, isn't it? The fulfillment of thousands of years of messianic prophecy all just in a moment is profound. This reality that just like Balaam's donkey diverted the wrath of God exactly what Jesus did. Maybe for you, the significance of the Jesus parade is around the palm branches. It's Palm Sunday. They're commemorating Jesus' coming future someday kingship for all of eternity. And they're also looking back to how God set them free how God parted even the sea so they could cross on dry land. 
Maybe God's pressing into your heart around the word Hosanna. Hosanna. Salvation. Salvation. Hooray for salvation. Salvation has come. And maybe that word needs to set into your vocabulary, you and the Lord, as you interact together, as you thank him for everything he's done in you, doing in you. And there's all of that, but then I hope for every single one of us, I pray that God's pressing in on us about what we're doing in this season of salvation that Jesus opened up, that we're living in. And would you ask yourself this question, what am I doing with this season of salvation? Am I making the most of these days? Am I making the most of these days? Am I displaying and declaring the gospel? There's a day, folks, that's coming when it's just too late. When Jesus rides into the sky on a white horse, it's too late. Are you making the most of these days of salvation? with the people in your world, those you love, those you live next door to, those you go to work with. Are you making the most? Or maybe for you, today is your day of salvation. What's keeping you? What's holding you back? What's preventing this moment right here, right now, from being your day your moment and if you're like a lot of people you think that you've disqualified yourself from the grace and love of God let me just tell you that can't be possible no matter how dark your past is God loves you God pursues you and today he's inviting you to put it all down and he's saying look through my son Jesus Christ there's amnesty my son Jesus Christ you can switch sides today's your day you can give him your heart and your life and you can come home the home you were made for come home to him and he forgives you and he washes you clean all because Jesus died for you and he rose for you is this your day of salvation and if it is you can tell that to God you can walk that out you can do it through a prayer that you can pray along with me it goes like this God I get it I'm a sinner and I receive the gift of amnesty that Jesus offers me thank you so much for such a gift as this thank you for taking my place on the cross thank you for setting me free from life and eternity apart from you here I am everything I am whole life, my whole heart, everything I've been about, I put it all down and I'm yours, God. And God, I'm on loan to you. I'm on loan to you. Use me, take me, guide me, send me, I'm yours. And if this is your day of salvation, there's not a bigger day in your whole life, literally. Every other day, frankly, it pales in compared to this one. And it's such a big deal. Around here, we invite people to tell us 
when they've marked their day of salvation. And I'm going to ask you to do that with me right now. If this is your day of salvation, if you're crossing the line of faith in Jesus Christ for the first time, would you be real bold and just lift your hand real high, lock eyes with me and just say, yes, this is my day of salvation. Just lift your hand up and lock eyes with me and say, yep, it's today. This is my day. Right here, right now, this is my day. Right there, yeah. Way to go, man. This is your day. And there, yes, this is your day. Absolutely, and yours, absolutely, yes. This is your day. And there, in the back, absolutely, yes, this is your day. Yes, here, yeah, absolutely, bud, way to go. This is your day. And there, this is your day. Yes. Thank yes, absolutely. This is your day. And there, yes, this is your day. Yes. Salvation has come. Hosanna. Hosanna. Salvation has come. And oh God, for all these who are saying, this is my day of salvation, we say thank you. And we say Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest heavens. Salvation has come. And we ask God for all of these that you would surround them with your church, please. That you would root them in deeply to you, God. That these next days would be days of freedom and celebration and life unimaginable in you. And God, I pray for us, the rest of your church, that you would compel us to be living more and more and more on your mission, that we would be seizing every opportunity on these, in these days of salvation. That we wouldn't wait until it's too late to talk to them or have that conversation or tell that person that Jesus is the most important thing in my life and here's why and here's how he can be your most important person as well. God, compel us in that way. Don't let us off the hook. Don't let us forget. Don't let us neglect. Move us, God, to action, please. Move us to mission, please. Displaying absolutely. Declaring, of course. Move us. Move us. Salvation, God, is in you alone. Nothing else is capable. No one else is capable of saving us. You alone, God, are mighty to save, and we celebrate you, and we can't wait for next weekend. We can't wait to blow it out and say, thank you, Hosanna. Hosanna, salvation has come. You're risen, Jesus. And it's in your risen holy name that we pray all of this, and the church agreed and said, amen. We're going to sing that song, Mighty to Save, and it just sort of explodes out of us, doesn't it? Like there's lots of little G gods in this world that think they're capable up to the challenge of saving and redeeming and bringing newness, but really salvation is found in God alone. He alone is mighty to save, and so just let that sort of blow out of you, if you would, as we're singing that song, as the band's leading, some ushers are going to be by to receive an offering. If you're a guest, please just be our guest. We don't want your money. 
just let those bags go right by you and if you're a person who gives around journey because you're helping bring the kingdom of God you're helping bring redemption then you can give in that bag or in those silos or online